0: Uh, If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them uh, for the last time this year as we gather together, but also uh, the last time in the first part of this series through uh, the two letters to the church in Thessalonica. We've been going through this series called The People in the Now, Longing for the Future. And today uh, we're going to finish up chapter 5 by looking at at really a list of imperatives and and also a blessing that Paul concludes his his first letter uh, to this church with. And so quickly, as you turn there, let me remind us kind of uh, just a few sentence overview of kind of where we've been uh, over the last, I believe it's uh, nine, ten weeks in this letter. And so what we see is Paul, in writing to this young persecuted church that he had uh, gone and shared the good news with, people were saved, and he spent some time with before, uh, man, persecution just begins to, uh, man, really take over and, and grow in such a way and become so bad that Paul has to leave under the cover of night. And so uh, Paul writes because he's heard that there's been some detractors, there's been some people that have said, hey, uh, to this church, they said, hey, uh, you should really turn away from Christianity and go back to uh, either what you formerly believed or if you're going to follow Jesus, don't follow Paul because really Paul deserted you. Paul was a fraud that took advantage and left when things got hard. And so Paul spends the first part of this letter saying, no, no, no. Here's my defense. This is who I am. This is what God has called me to do. And I want you to remember my care for you. And so he lays that out and then he spends uh, really a lot of his time in this letter uh, encouraging them in a variety of ways to abound in love and then he exhorts the church to live lives pleasing to god uh, by laying out certain gospel ethics that we've really spent probably the last 3 or 4 weeks looking at uh, so that they might uh, display the transformative power of the gospel to others and so there's been things that they've been wrestling with like when is the end going to come uh, what is it going to look like and paul tries to reassure them that it doesn't it doesn't matter that the date is should not be the focus rather We should know and trust that he is returning, that when he does, he's going to make all things new. But in the meantime, man, may we live in the now, right? And so we've seen that laid out over and over again. So Paul, he moves now to close out this first letter in really kind of typical fashion for Paul. If you look at um, most, if not all of his letters, Paul kind of closes all of them out in the same way. He he lists kind of a, a rapid-fire list of, hey, here's some other things we want to remind you of. And, and then usually he closes out with uh, a prayer or uh, grace and peace to you, uh, to this church. Or, or, man, remember Timothy or remember so-and-so. And so he kind of builds this conclusion. But this list of imperatives that we see uh, today, this this list of action steps that we see uh, really flow from, uh, what he laid out in chapter one, which was kind of, uh, man, uh, his, his reason for writing, but also that man, the good news of the gospel is transformative. You see, one thing that we know, one thing we talk about all the time here is that the gospel always produces action. What, the, the truth of what God does in us, man, God always wants to use that truth as it transforms our lives, and, and then he uses that through us to proclaim the good news. So Paul does this in most, if not all, his letters. And I believe in doing what we're going to see in our time today, in doing this, it really uh, it reveals uh, a couple of things about Paul's understanding of, uh, of, one, the gospel in his own life, but also we see his heart for other Christians. I mean, we, we've already seen his heart for this church, but we see it on display in what he finishes with. And kind of the manner by which he does it, you see, Paul in sharing this list we're going to look at today, it's as if he he knows that that he's finishing up the letter, right? But he has so much more to say. He 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 has so he has such deep care for these people. He wants them to know. He he wants to. he's already said, I long to be with you, but I can't. And so he shares some really detailed things, and at the end he's just saying, hey, but don't forget this, and don't forget this, and don't forget that, right? And then it's as if he's about to say, wait, wait, there's one more. Let me, let me just share this other thing with you. It reminded me, um, there was kind of a running joke in my family growing up, that if my uncle called us, that he was going to do the same thing every time. So he was going to call and he was going to make some weird comment up front, uh, right? He was always trying to be funny, and so we would talk, and we, we would uh, exchange greetings, and then we would make small talk. We would catch up on life, and then fairly quickly, about two minutes into the conversation, he would say, almost without fail, well, I didn't really know anything, but... Now, to most people, that sounds like the conversation's about to end, Right? Because he would then say, Well, I I didn't know anything, but I just wanted to call you, right? And and so you would think, okay, my response is going to be, well, thanks for calling. Uh, and then let's hang up the phone, right? We're out in two minutes, we're done. But that's that never happened. Because he would always he'd say, I I didn't really know anything, and so I and then he would be like, he would start talking about just something totally random off the wall, and I'd be like, What? Where, where did this come from in the conversation? And so we would get through that one and then there would be like seven, eight, nine, ten more things and a one and a half minute conversation turns into like a 15 minute conversation. Because as we're talking, it's as if on the one hand, I know that my uncle, he, he cared about me, he cared about my cousins, other members of the family and he wanted to talk to them. But it's as if he was, as he was talking, man, more things would pop into his head. And he would get really excited. And so I think after three or four times we're going to be done with the conversation, it just kept going and going and going. And so every time he called, I always knew when he said, well, I didn't really know anything. I knew I was in for a long conversation. And then what I realized recently, especially when I talked to my cousins, that I do the same thing. That I'll call my cousin Brady. We talk really regularly and I'll be talking and I'll catch myself saying, well, I, I really didn't know anything, but and then I'll start talking about just the most random. and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, who am I becoming?" And, and and a one and a half minute conversation turns into a fifteen minute conversation of just total randomness, right? And while that, that we can we can sit in that and see that, I believe that Paul, in, in part of him, he's one to just he doesn't want it to end, but also there's purpose behind what he's going to say. That there's depth to what he is going to lay out today. And really I believe that the purpose at the end of this letter is to give practical application on how to live as gospel community. How to live in gospel community and how to live out gospel community. Let me, let me explain what I mean by that. To live as gospel community, which is what Paul is, is expressing in these last few verses, what he wants us to understand. He says, hey, this is how you live as the family of God. This is how you live as gospel community. And then secondly, this is how you live in gospel community. And really, we're going to see this aspect of what does it mean to be a servant? We're called to be family, but also we're called to be servants to one another and to others. And then lastly, what we're going to see is, is Paul is laying out how to live out gospel community. Because guess what, man? The, our, our community is never meant to stay here. No, we, we live it out. We are, when we leave here, we don't become uh, non-family anymore in the kingdom. When we leave here, we don't become uh, not become servants any longer. Actually, we're sent out to be that. To live out our identities as family, as sons and daughters. To live out our identity as a people that are called to be servants towards others. And all of it is encompassed as we live out gospel community. We are a missionary people, right? We are a sent people. We have been commissioned, Matthew 28, by God, to to proclaim the good works of, the the good news of great joy, right? This gospel message that has impacted us. And so this is what Paul is after throughout the whole letter. But he ties the bow on it here by listing really kind of three categories of these imperatives and then a benediction. And so let's look at category one, which which is a response towards church leaders. And so I'm going to read verses 12 and 13. Paul says this, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Okay, so if you remember through our time in this letter, I already expressed it. Like Paul spent a portion of it defending his own ministry, defending his own leadership as an apostle. And I believe that it was for two main reasons. First, he wants to encourage the struggling church to see that he cares for them and that he can be trusted as an authority in their lives, right? But secondly, and I think what he's doing here in these two verses, he's actually he's done that so that he might set the stage for the call for them to trust in and respect, honor, and submit to the local authorities within the church that are leading them face to face, now, now, as we hear that, and as we kind of sit in there, there's really a couple of problems that we're going to see. Uh, first, and I believe that was a pro- it was a problem then, but it's also a problem now, is that at times the temptation, at times really because of ease of access, we allow those who are not a gospel presence to hold greater authority in our lives than those who are a gospel presence, especially when we're talking about church leadership. I don't know if you remember a, a few weeks back, Josh Reeves uh, came in and he he talked about being a people that are a gospel presence. He actually shared a lot about this and and one thing that was brought up, I forget who brought it up to me, they, they expressed, he they said, well, is he, he talked about, it. he said, hey, you know, uh, it's so easy to go to, to other pastors and podcasts and YouTube, uh, you know, influencers and all these things and, and listen to those people, but we never Spend time really, uh, uh, man, submitting to a gospel presence here, amongst ourselves. We we really just rather do that. And and one of the questions that would ask was asked was, "Well, am I not supposed to listen to so and so?" And I was like, "Well, maybe not, but that particular instance, yes, you should." Uh, but what what I think he was expressing more than anything was that it's totally fine. Like Paul's actually like, if that's the case, they shouldn't listen to Paul. Now, what he's saying here is that it's not that we don't need to learn from them. But the reality is, is, at the end of the day, those people that we love to listen to, that are influential. I mean, you know, there's been some the preachers and teachers that have influenced my life deeply. But they don't know me. They, they don't know me. They don't know, they don't know me well. They don't know my heart. They don't know where I struggle. They, they don't know where what God has done in my... They don't know my story. Like they don't know me. And guess what? The other side of that is I probably don't really know them. Now I know some things about them. But I don't know their full story. I don't know necessarily where they struggle. But those who lead you should... And or do. You see, it's easy to listen from afar. And the reason it's easy to listen from afar is because they don't have to get into the real stuff of your life. And we kind of like that, right? Like, I'll listen from afar because guess what? They don't they don't know my mess. And so I can hear it and I can feel good. But they don't really dig in. You see, it's easy to listen from afar than to be held accountable face to face. And so Paul takes a moment to say, look, don't simply respect him, but respect the local elder or elders to the extent that you esteem them highly. Which leads to another problem. You see, the view of church leadership has changed over the years. And not just because of the ease of access that we have with social media and YouTube and everything else that's out there. No, actually, we've monopolized ministry oftentimes to one man when I believe biblical gospel ministry is meant to be multiplied, not monopolized. Uh, Paul actually writes about this in Ephesians chapter 4 when he says that, man, hey, that you've been given uh, prophets, evangelists, um, shepherds, teachers. I'm missing one. Um, I can't remember. There's five of them. Uh, <laughs> But he says that you've been given them so that they might equip the saints for the work of ministry. You see, the thing about, uh, especially for like full-time vocational, like, guess what? I, I'm not in it like y'all are. Like, I, I should be around lost people. Like, I should, but y'all are likely around a lot more lost people than I am on a daily basis. And so part of my job, and I believe what Paul's stating here and what we see in Ephesians 4, is that, man, one of my primary roles is to really to equip you so that the church might flourish as we go out, that you would be sent ones equipped to proclaim the good news. And so as we see these things, the question becomes, like, in this, in hearing that, man, we should esteem leaders, right? And this is also, this is kind of odd for me to talk about, uh, you know, like, but as we, like, why we should, like, why should we? And so what Paul does is he gives three reasons why elders, not simply pastors, are to be respected and esteemed highly. The first reason is this. He says, because of the work they do, laboring among you. Now I don't know about you, but what's the running joke about pastors? How often do we work? One day a week, right? One day a week, one hour a day. Or one hour, one hour a week, right? Like it's, well on that one day, it's just one hour. And that's it, right? Like that's the running joke, and I know, ha ha ha. Uh, but! <laughs> the reality is, and I'm not here to Talk about how many hours I work during a week. The reality is, I think when looking at, it, like, the, that the reason, like, those things are said is at times, man, it, it's just a different weight. Not that one's better than the other, not that you labor harder, or, to, you know, like, but that they're just different. But you see, the, and I'm just gonna speak from my own experience here, uh, man, the, one of the reasons I know the weight is different is because it feels impossible to shut off. Like with most jobs, like I don't know, like a, I don't know what your job is, but like most jobs, like guess what? Like when you clock out, you don't carry the label with you. But most of the time, when people talk to me, what do they call me? Pastor Kyle. And I'm like, no, no, it's just Kyle. Like it's just, it's just like, I, and, and part of me is I have to just get, I have to become okay with that, and just be like, no, no, like that is my role. But it's just another reminder that, hey, that never shuts off. You see, for me, something I I wrestle with at times, if I'm going to be honest, is I can check out, but can never really clock out. You get that? Like, it's kind of like parenting. Like, guess what? Parents, you can check out, but you can't clock out. And guess what? Over the last week, there's many moments where I'm like, I just need to check out for a minute, right? Like, like, you can check out, but you can't clock out. Like, I'm still a parent. And as a pastor, there's many moments, like I can, guess what? I can and have in seasons and at times checked out. But I can't clock out. And even when I check out at times, like in my mind, like it's always there. Like Sunday's always coming. The expectations are always there. Expectations I place on myself, good and bad. Expectations that are placed on me, good and bad. I better make sure that I call, check in. I better make sure I know before they know that I didn't know that they know what I know. There's sickness. There's death. There's babies everywhere. All the time. There's celebration. You see, it's just, it's different. I'm not saying one's harder than another, like it's just different weight. It's not the same. The labor looks different. And the reason I believe the labor looks different is because the weight is carried differently. Like maybe you work with your hands. Maybe you work with your back. Maybe it's your brain. Maybe it's all of it, right? You see, dealing with souls is a different way. It's hard to quantify, right? I think it's hard to quantify what I do because uh, I heard my buddy said this. He said, man, in ministry, God does enough through you to keep you going, but not enough to make you think you did it yourself. So it's just different. Paul says, man, it's, it's, and, and again, I'm not talking, I, I don't, like, in this, I don't just mean vocational. Like, any elder, whether it's vocational or lay elder, and we have two other lay elders here in the room, like, it's a different weight. So then we get reason two, which is the reason you should love, you should respect, is because they care for you. The, the word that's used in the ESV is they labor among you. That, that is tra- could actually be translated, they care for you. The the picture here is a picture of really Jesus, of servant leadership. What Paul is saying is that healthy church leadership at its root is to be servant leadership. Church leaders lead or are to lead under those as a servant, not over them as their Lord. There's only one Lord. There's only one chief shepherd. They're to be a reflection of Jesus who came to serve and not be served. John Stott says that the chief characteristic of Christian leaders, according to Jesus, is humility, not authority, and gentleness, not power. You see, sadly, pride, ego, and position when not held in check and in submission to the chief shepherd Jesus can lead to lording rather than serving. And so the work they do, the care they have, and then reason three, Christian leaders are to be respected because they, Paul says, they admonish you. Now, now with this, this is one of the most common reasons these things are left out. But I believe it's key because it is a way to model what's coming in verses 14 and 15. The word admonish means to warn against bad behavior and its consequences. It's a part of the role. But we are to admonish with grace. As we warn, as we share, hey, this will be the consequence also, James four six, there is more grace. And so in that, like that that again, that's a that's a weighty thing. Because guess what? Man, you can admonish and it can be so good because it can bear fruit. But also the sad reality is it can be abused by those in positions. That should be serving but are lording. But also, it could be rejected. One more note on all three, uh, on these reasons. All three of these reasons are wrapped not in the authority of man, but by the very authority of God. And so, when we respect and esteem those in leadership within the church, a few things happen. First, we honor God who set this in place. Paul says, In the Lord. Next, we live out, Paul says, peace. Individual peace, but also corporate peace. Because, man, when the church actually does this, it's a mutual submission. It's mutual service towards one another. And then lastly, I believe the church flourishes. And so we see this call to uh, these practical implications towards church leaders. Next, we see practical implications towards the body or for the body of Christ, the church. Verses 14 and 15, it says this, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. All right, so I want you to remember the the, the context of what's taking place here, right? Like this is a young church that's facing persecution. But also, see what he says in verse 14. The audience changes. The the audience gets more specific, actually. He's not addressing just simply church leaders. He, He says, no, everyone. The term brothers could be used brother or sister. He says everybody. He says we're all to engage in care for one another. Now, now that could be different levels of care for one another. And so Paul, in these two verses, urges the church to do five things towards three groups of people. Let's run through them. First, he says, admonish the idle. Now, now Paul isn't talking about laziness here. One writer suggests that this is a call to admonish the disorderly and disruptive. So Paul says, hey, you need to warn them and advise them to live differently. Really what this probably ties back to is those that had, they, they believed that Jesus was coming at any moment, right? Like maybe tomorrow, so I don't need to work. And because they weren't working hard, guess what they were doing? They were being, they weren't minding their own business. And Paul says, hey, no, admonish the idol. They're, they're being disorderly. They're being disruptive. You see, part of our job as the church towards one another, is that we expose sin for what it is. But also we point out the warning signs in gentleness and grace. Also in relationship. I would not encourage you to go to somebody you don't know and just begin to just point out all their sin. Because they're probably going to point out yours. Which is pride. Don't do that. But in relationship, as we learn and, and grow together, as we live out what it's called to be a family, man, one of the ways we serve one another is, man, when we see sin, we go in gentleness and grace and humility, and we say, hey, I see this. So we go to them when we say what we see, but also, man, there are moments when you just say, hey, the future reality, of that, I man, if you continue that way, man, this is what it's going to lead to. Next, Paul says, encourage the faint-hearted. So what we see is that we are all to encourage the faint-hearted or discouraged. We are to be the first line of encouragement towards our brothers and sisters in Christ when they face suffering and trials. May we as God's people be the voice of truth, proclaim good news and stand with them through it. As Scripture says, may we rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Next, Paul says, we are to help the weak. You see, we are to help the weak. Now, this could mean weak in faith. Or it could literally mean physically and or emotionally weak. You see, this leads us to helping the weak through meeting tangible needs in the physical and the intangible needs of emotions. The next two things are found in Paul's concluding remarks. He says, in all this, be patient with them all. You see, through all things, we are to be patient with people in the midst of and through their situation. There is no one size fits all approach. We all have a story and our redemption, while similar in ways, is specific to our lives. And the, the crazy, amazing, beautiful thing is no matter your story, no matter your, the gospel can speak to every part of it. That's what we need to take people to. Because that's the only thing that can change them. That's the only thing that can open eyes. And then lastly, Paul says, See that no one repays evil, anyone evil for evil. Rather, seek to do good to one another and to everyone. You see, this is a helpful note. And the reason I believe it's helpful is because, guess what? There will be times when you admonish, encourage, help others, when you uh, when you go to them, that, that they reject what you tell them and they return evil. You see, I think a lot of times, if we're all honest, there are moments when instead of being admonished, instead of being encouraged, it's like we just want to be managed. I think that, you know, we do that with sin, right? Like there's this gospel of sin management that says, man, if I can just be good enough and I can not do these things and check these things, but that's not the gospel. It feels easier at times, though, because we can seek to control it when in reality we can't. A lot of people throw out judgment because they don't like accountability. And so how are we to respond? Well, first, Paul says we're to seek, which is active action to do good in word and deed to one another, in the church, in the community around us, and to everyone. And that everyone means everyone, even your enemy. The person who rejects what you have to share with them. And so we see these calls towards church leadership. We see these calls towards the body of Christ. And then lastly, we see this call towards worship. And this is both a uh, general response personally, but I believe more specifically, it's talking about how do we worship corporately as the body of Christ. And I believe the goal in all of this is that we would live lives of worship. So beginning in verse 16 through verse 22, it says this. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God and Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Okay, so in moving towards closing out the letter. Paul takes a moment to remind those he's writing to and us today that no matter the circumstance, we are to live lives of worship. You see, all of life is to be lived as an act of worship towards God in light of what Jesus has done for us. We worship. Everything ultimate, everything eternal has been taken care of. We're freed up to worship. But the question becomes, do you? Are you? So how does Paul lay this out? Well, first he says simply, he says, rejoice always. Always. Don't be fake. Don't put on the good face. Don't uh, walk around with the the half, well, I'm blessed, I'm getting better than I deserved. I don't believe that's what Paul's saying here. I believe it's actually much deeper than that. So when do we rejoice? We rejoice always. But how do we rejoice? Well, we rejoice in the good news of great joy, Luke 2. The gospel draws us to rejoicing. As we remember and are met with the depth of our sin, but uh, as we're also met at the same time with the brutality of the cross and the empty tomb, man, we, as an overflow of what Jesus has paid, we rejoice. I believe this call right here is an invitation to worship. And it carries with it the tone of exactly that, that we would sing, that we would shout. That we would be loud about our worship. That people would not be like that. That we would constantly be a rejoicing people. Excited about what God has done, is doing, and is going to do. Next, Paul says, pray constantly without ceasing, right? I believe that the context of this command is together. That we would be a people, God's people, and that we would pray. Pray see this all throughout the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts. Man, God's people are always together and they're always praying. But also that we would pray constantly for one another. Then we are to give thanks, Paul says, in all circumstances. Remember, this is being written to the persecuted church. And yet, Paul says, no, be thankful. Give thanks. Church, so so often, like we we we're quicker to complain than we are to thankfulness. We're quicker to critique than we are to thankfulness. But I believe that thankfulness is actually a gospel proclaimer. Because what we're ultimately thinking is that man, like guess what? Like the reason I can be deeply thankful in every circumstance is because of what Jesus has done. So how do we do that? Well, first, man, I think we do that by asking one another, what are you thankful for? And then when you're asked, don't run away. Answer. And if you can't think of anything, say, man, I need to think about that, but I should also be kind of a check engine light. i like, oh, man. I think it was, uh, we were in a quip a while back. No, we were in Men's MC." And we were talking about thankfulness. And I think it was actually Michael and Coney, he said, man, every morning when I wake up the first day, he's like, I want to write something I'm thankful for. And I was like, oh my gosh, why don't I do that? First thing I do is, man, can I just turn the coffee pot on? No, you could do that and then be, man, thank you, Jesus, for coffee. So it's asking, but also it's answering, I'm thankful for. It. It's having an awareness around you. But also, I believe in this, it's learning to practice this. That this would become common. And I believe, man, if this becomes common, it fights complaint. And finally, Paul says in this portion of the text, listen to the Word of God. He says, don't quench the Spirit. So, well, what this means is don't put out the Spirit's fire by living a life contrary to the Word of God. Man, Don't put the, the way you, you quench the Spirit is complaint and not thankfulness. It's griping and not prayer. Or apathy and not prayer. It's it's, uh, not rejoicing in the midst of things. So don't quench the spirit by living a life contrary to the word of God. It's taking God's word and saying, okay, I know it says this, but guess what? I'm going to go another way. I know it. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live another way. It's, it, it, it's, man, I think one of the, the, the slow ways that, that we quench the spirit in our lives. Man, I'm guilty of this. It's just getting really lax and lazy and reading this. Which, again, is why, guess what we're to do? We're to admonish the idol. Tomorrow is 1 1. Men, we're going to read through the New Testament one chapter a day this whole year. Jump on. Ladies, I know that that reading plans have been sent out on y'all's group me as well. Start today. Start today. Kick off a plan tomorrow. Next, Paul says, don't despise prophecies. Now, Now, to this, I want to say, we have the word of God. And so prophecy in terms of thus saith the Lord is here. The canon is closed. But I do believe that God still speaks, but it will always align with the Word of God and should, as we see in the text, should be tested by the Word of God. Guess what? I can come up with some pretty cool things in my mind that I can be like, yep, that's what I need to do. And I don't pray about it and I don't go to the Word of God about it. And so I believe that, man, we can have impressions as we're in prayer. I believe that, man, God can give us a word of knowledge, but I don't, man, I believe that he already setteth. it. And so in all this, what Paul says, he says, man, as we test everything, he says, look, the, the question we should ask is as we test it to the word of God, the first question is, is it good? Now, the word of God defines good, not us. And so what is good for us might not be good according to the Word. He says, but if it's good, hold fast to what it's good, even if it's difficult, and then abstain or run from everything that is evil or misaligned with God's Word. You see how Paul, he's just rattling these things off. He says, just one more thing, let me just say another thing. And then what he does in 23 through 28 is he just... He closes out with a benediction, which is a blessing towards this church. So let's read 23 through 28 now. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. All right, so Paul closes the letter with a prayer of blessing over the church. What Paul doesn't do is finish all these things and say, hey, here, good luck. You see, Paul understands, I believe, the content of this letter and the content of this prayer is spirit-dependent. Paul knows that none of this happens apart from God's grace and the Spirit's work in the church. And so let's look at the prayer. Paul says, sanctify them completely. Paul is praying that God would have full work in and through the church. And then he says, this is the reason why. So that the whole self would be kept blameless. What Paul means by whole self is that, man, their spirit, their soul, their body would be blameless. That, that blameless is in step with the spirit. Not sinless, but covered by the blood. And then he says, remember. Remember he who calls you. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. He initiates, he ignites, he sustains, and he completes our faith. What Paul says, he says, man, he he who calls you is faithful and he will do it. He will sanctify you fully. So Paul says, man, when you trust in that, when you have faith in that, guess what? He says, okay, now Paul says, pray for us. I love this because so often, man, we were so self-focused, right? Like how many people, like somebody comes, hey, how can I pray for you? And you're like, oh, okay, and you lay all this stuff out and you say, all right, bye. We should respond with, no, but how can I pray for you? So Paul says, hey, in the midst of this, like, no, we're praying for you. No, we're, we're pouring our lives out for the sake of the gospel. Know that we care for you, but also we'd ask that you pray for us. And then Paul says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Context is key, okay? Don't try to kiss me or others unless you're my wife, Haley. I think the focus here, though, is that we would actually be a welcoming presence. That we would be excited to see and engage with one another. I don't know if y'all remember, but there was some dark days a few years back. It's called COVID, uh, where everything we just we recorded every Thursday, it was up every Sunday. It was not fun, but I remember that first Sunday we came back. Man, it was just like we've been missing this. We celebrated baptisms and and, and we do, but because guess what? Like we were excited to get together. We like, we should be excited. Like, when we see one another, whether it's here or man, if you see someone in Target just walking around and you know them, man, just shout them out and say, hey, what's up? Right? Like, be encouraged. Like, we should be excited to see one another. We should be a welcoming presence. Then Paul says, man, he says, I charge you to read this letter. That, that charge, he's saying, hey, read this but but for us like man, we need to read the word together this letter was communal in nature meaning that it was written uh, for the church but also it was read to the church and then paul closes he says look receive and live out grace for yourself and others because christ is with you like literally he is and so as a people in the now, longing for the future, this should give us great hope. But also, like this should encourage us. And should, but it, man, like we should be on fire, knowing that man everything ultimate is taken care of. And so let us live lives like this. And so, how do we respond? to the end of this letter. Well, first, I believe there are many things that we need to quit focusing on. Not that they're unimportant, but I think at times, it takes our focus away from the main thing. And we need to be about the things that Paul talks about that are for today. Longing for the future. Knowing what's coming. Not knowing when or exactly how. But knowing that He will come back and make all things new. But in the meantime... That we would focus on these realities that we would submit to and serve in the local church. And that we would live lives of worship that rejoice, pray, and are thankful. That we would be a welcoming presence. That we would pray for one another. You see, again, the purpose of this letter... I believe all of it, specifically the end, is to give practical application on how to live as gospel community, to live in gospel community, and to live out gospel community. So that we might display the good news to others. We have good news to share. May 2024 be a year that we really, really, really share it. Not because we've got to check it off a list or we want to grow a brand or, you know, whatever it, but rather that, man, we would be so impacted by the good news that we can't help but share it. And we want to invite others into that. But you see, to invite others in, man, we've got to live it out. And so that's what I want to invite you to today. And so I'm going to have the team come back up. And I want you to just take a moment to just reflect. Maybe, maybe to think about, man. What are areas in your life currently that that maybe um, you need to respond? Be it uh, through, uh, man, repentance, through faith, through uh, just the reality of celebration. That maybe something hits you today that just it weld encouragement up in your soul. And go be about those things. But may we not just simply hear the word. May we be doers of the word. And so I'm going to give you just a moment to think about that. And then I'm going to pray. And then what we're going to do is after I pray, those that are going to be uh, leading us in uh, giving out the elements for communion, they're going to come forward. And then, uh, man, after they uh, get ready, y'all can, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you, man, to come and to celebrate this reality of what it means to be the body of Christ. we celebrate that that Jesus is risen and reigning, that there is good news to be had, that we can taste and see that the Lord is good. So we invite you, whether you're a partner here or maybe you're just visiting from somewhere else, if you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to come share in the table. So you'll receive the elements and then go grab your seat and then I'll lead us in the taking of communion. But today, if you're not a follower of Jesus, man, we would ask that you abstain Not as a way to cast you off, but as a way to say, hey, we want to invite you in, but we want you to know what this means. We want you to know what life in Christ means before you partake of the reality of the symbol that we partake of on a weekly basis. And So if you'd like to know more about that, man, I invite you, like, come talk to me. If you know someone here that is a follower of Jesus, go talk to them. They would love to share the good news with you. So let me pray for us. And then we'll share in communion together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is all that we need for life and living gotta pray today as we think about just uh, these imperatives towards uh, leadership and imperatives towards the body and imp- these, um, these imperatives, these action steps towards what it means to, to be a people of worship. God, they would not simply be words, but they would uh, impact us from the inside. And then as they impact our hearts, as they shape our, our lives from the inside out, God, it would change just the dynamic of how we live. That it would change just, just our, our focus on things. That we would rejoice, that we would pray, that we would give thanks. That we would live lives of worship as gospel community, in gospel community, and, and that out of that, that we would proclaim the good news. It's only by your power that this happens. So I ask that you move. Jesus' name. Amen.